0: We're going through a series called Love Never Fails, and these first few talks in this series are sort of laying a foundational groundwork for where we want to go with sort of like the real-life application of it in the coming weeks. Um, and, and if you remember, we started the first week by, by talking, sort of defining echo chambers that we find ourselves in, sort of these silos that we find ourselves in, and, and saying that we, we kind of enjoy being in the echo chambers because they define truth for us kind of tell us, like, the way to live, and, and we feel safe there, gives us an identity. But what I tried to argue for us was that really that's playing the role of God, that it's God's role to give us an identity, and that we can actually walk out of and we should walk out of those echo chambers to only really be centered in the gospel as opposed to finding our identity in, you know, a political party or, a, you know, a people group or an economic class or, or whatever. Um, And then last week, uh, we took the opportunity to sort of define for us as a church that that our mission is to make disciples through the way of Jesus, that is love, and, and that our hope is in the gospel, not in politics, the granddaddy of all echo chambers that is just ringing so loudly in our day and age because of cable news and social media, and we just find ourselves swirling down into these toilet echo echo chambers of, of politics. And anyway, if you ever want to hear where we stand on that, you can listen to the talk from last week. Um, but we are not, we are intentionally an, an apolitical church, and we preach the gospel, we preach simply Jesus, because that's where our hope is, is in the gospel, not in a political party, a person, or in a platform or a policy. Today, what I want to talk about to sort of finish sort of the foundations of this This series is is the idea that love changes us, that the love of God changes us to be people of love, but then when we start loving others, that changes us as well and matures us. And so I want to sort of dive into this topic so that then next week we can sort of start getting into, well, what does it look like for us to actually live this out, to be people walking in the way of Jesus in loving our neighbors, uh, friendly and difficult alike, right? And so if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn to 1 John 4 with me. Uh, John is an apostle of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples. Um, He wrote the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read the book of John, if you read the letters of John, you see that this guy was all about love. He wants us to understand the love of God as expressed primarily through Jesus, who he walked this earth with. He even calls himself the beloved disciple, which is like just interesting, right? He has this loving relationship with Jesus, and he so badly wants us to know it and experience it. So today we're going to be talking about love changes us, the love of God for us, and then when we love others. So let's just read this starting from uh, chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. That Okay, there's some heavy stuff right there. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Tammy, I mean, just stay on verse 8 for a second. I just want to say something real quick. I listened to an A.W. Tozer uh, sermon this week. He's a uh, you know, kind of a pastor and theologian from our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance from the past, and uh, he was talking about how when it says God is love, he's not saying love is God, like our culture wants to say, love is God. There's just need love. Like love is God. Now no, he's saying God is love. Like if we have any comprehension, any idea of love, any streams of love in our life, it flows from the lake that is God's love. God's love in its purity, in its purest form. Like that. That. Like that is where we know love from. God is love. But God is not only love. He's also holy, like we talked about earlier. The Bible says he is light. Says he is life. Says he is just. Says he knows all things. Right. Like he's not just all love, He is all of these things together, but I would argue that His holiness and love seem to dominate, in a way, the rest of His characteristics, but that's just my take on how I read Scripture. But all right, so just enough of the background there, um, influenced by A.W. Tozer. If you want to look him up, you can. Uh, Going on, so God is love, verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you have another copy of scriptures, it might say the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and His love is made complete in us. Again, that word there, complete, is if you remember from the James series, complete there means like mature, that that word telos, like it's perfected in us. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior." Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know, listen to that, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him or her, speaking of all mankind here. In this, love is made complete. There's that word again. Love is perfected. Love is matured with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because someday Jesus will return and bring justice in finality. We will all stand before God and give an account for whether or not we believed in Jesus. So so that we may have confidence, like, all right, I'll read that again. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love, that completed love, drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brothers or sisters, he is a liar. There you go, plain and simple. He's like pointing out religious hypocrisy. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, couldn't possibly love God, whom he has not seen. Does this make sense, his argument here? And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. And if we've seen anything in the life of Jesus, it's not just within the church, though I think primarily our call is to love one another in the church, but also in the world like out in the community, we are to love. If we have the love of God, we would love others. And so what I want to get into today is that we love others because we know God, because we have come to know God by the power of the Spirit, and God is love. We love others because he first loved us. And as we are loving others, it changes us to actually know God and love people more. It's this cyclical thing that happens within us. So first thing, right? We, uh, we love others because we know God. As Jesus followers, we know God and God is love. Verse 7 and 8, right? Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is Love. John's making it clear for us that if you know God, you know love. And if you know love, you know God. And he's saying it's all encompassed here in the love of God. But what John makes clear in this passage and in his gospels is that the fullness of love is in the Father, and the Father is most clearly demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus. John lived on earth with, the, with, like with God on earth and said, that guy is love pure and simple. I have seen it with my own eyes. God is love. Jesus is God. God is love. Jesus is love. I've seen it. I have experienced it. And this is what Jesus says. If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. He says, if you've seen me, you have seen God embodied on earth in all of his glory. Jesus comes to this earth as the embodiment of love. He did not just come bearing a message. Saying, yep, here's the truth. So if you just believe these ten things and sign on the line, everything will be good. He doesn't just, he doesn't just teach. He doesn't just give a message, and he doesn't just give this, this mountaintop experience for us, saying, come have this religious experience and all will be well with you. What he says is, I'm giving you an ongoing relationship with the Father, with the God of the cosmos, who is love. I'm giving this to you. And he does it by walking it out in our midst. The embodiment of love. He comes and shows us exactly what it looks like. He shows us what the Father looks like. He doesn't just preach a message and say, All right, all right, ten minutes is all I need with you. I'm just gonna tell you the truth and then I'm gonna leave. No, no, he lives it out among the disciples. But here's the thing: going beyond that is is Jesus does not just come to offer us uh, a religion. just a list of rules that we need to keep to make sure that God's happy with us, some legalism. doesn't just come to preach a moralism so that we do all the right things and fix our behaviors. He lives it out among us and says, I'm giving this to you as a relationship. This is an ongoing, never-ending thing where you are walking with God, knowing Him and Him knowing you in love. He didn't come just preaching about God. He didn't just give lessons about God. He came and lived an embodied existence in proximity to people so that they could know God. And I think sometimes we treat church as just like, oh, this is this thing where I go and I do that thing on Sunday and then I go home and I'll see you again next week. And John's like, do you know how much bigger the Christian life is than that? Jesus came to offer us a relationship with the God of all things, who is love and light in all its purity, and says, you can know him. You can be in relationship with him. This isn't just about a belief in your heart so that you go to heaven someday, though true, okay, very true, the gospel life is so much more than that. It's about knowing our Father knowing him in all of his love and goodness. Jesus didn't just come to preach a message about God. He came so that we could know God himself. And so maybe some of you have, have grown up in the church, you've heard these things before. Uh, if You can picture this with me. Uh, you know, we used to, uh, as a, churches in the past, we don't, some still do. This is whatever, fine, uh, hand out tracts. T-R-A-C-T-S, right? A tract where it's like, go door to door and just tell people like, all right, here's the thing, uh, believe it, and see you later. Some people have been saved through that, so I don't totally want to like rip on it, okay? But here's what Jesus does. He doesn't just come and say, here's the tract. He actually, like moves into the neighborhood with them. He moves into the disciples' lives. He comes to earth and moves in to have a relationship with them, and I believe that for us, that's part of this as well, is that we don't just pass out information. We are embodying love towards people because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus' still love towards us moves into our lives rather than saying, just believe this information and you can come to heaven someday. He's like, no, 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 I want to know you now. I want to be with you now. I want you to know the love of the Father now, in the day-to-day, in the ups and downs that we all go through. He is the embodiment of of love on earth, not just a message, but actually relationally, like emotionally connected to his disciples, to me and you, so that we can know the Father, so that we can be in unity with the Father, so that we can know the God of the universe. I mean, this is like, read John 13 to 17 this week. Just, I mean, read all of John and look how much he talks about, like, I and the Father are one, and you're one with me, therefore making you one with the Father, and right? John 13 to 17, as Jesus is getting ready to leave the earth, he's just saying this over and over and over again in all these different ways. He could be telling them all these, all these other things that they should be doing. All right, I'm leaving. Here's the checklist. He's like, I just want you to know the Father. The Father's in me. I'm in you. You're in me. We're all in this together. We are this one united family through the work of Jesus. He says, when, when you walk in my ways, when you walk in the way of love... When you follow my commands, you actually get to know the Father. You know the heart of God for you and for the world. This is the power of the indwelling Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate that Jesus sends, so that that, and the Father sends to to dwell in our midst, to know the deep things of God, to see ourselves in the way that He sees us with all love. Jesus says, "You're you're not just my servants." He says, "You are my friends." We get to be friends with God. Do you understand this? You know what that means on like a Tuesday when work really stinks? When the kids are acting out, when that relationship falls apart, when that horrible thing comes into life, we get to hang on to the fact that, man, it's not that I just get to escape someday and go to heaven. It's that God's with me now. Now. The loving God of the universe is smiling upon me, singing over me, dancing over me, Zephaniah says, because of the work of Jesus, and I get to be in relationship with him. It's not just a message we get to check off and say we believe and go to heaven someday. We get to be friends with God. See what love the Father has lavished on us that we could be called children of God. So again, let me just say today that again, you might have a great dad, you might have a terrible dad. We get to be called children of God. Let that sink in. Let that resonate with you. That there is a good God who knows you and wired you and loves you and smiles upon you and says, I want to be with you. I love you so much that I would give my life for you all over again. And for me, the, like, the thing that we need to understand in knowing God is that Jesus says, this is eternal life. To know God And the one whom He sent, which is Jesus, friends. That's what eternal life is. Do you understand that? And not just about quantity, but about quality. Knowing God now and forever. This is what Jesus came to purchase for us. And so, what does that mean in practicality? Right. So, here's what I would say: knowing God, doctrinally true, like foundationally true, but to live it out is it takes work not earning it, but it just takes effort, just like knowing someone, right? If, if I were to be given a pamphlet of all the great things about my wife, I could read them and be like, okay, that's nice. It's very different to actually know her over the course of 30 years. You understand what I'm saying? I could, I could read about her, but it's very different than actually walking it out, starting to learn the way that she thinks, learn the way that she behaves, to be able to predict sometimes what she's going to do. They get to watch sometimes when it's unpredictable. This is life with God. So if, if you're boiling the Christian life down to like, well, I'm going to go to church and then like maybe sometimes I'll read a devotional, like good, so much more in relationship with God, in knowing the Father, in paying attention, in studying, in listening prayer, in being in community, in singing, in serving, in loving others. So we love others because we know the love of God. It takes effort to know this relationship, to be in relationship with the Father in this way, to understand more and more of who He is and His love for us. But we have it most demonstrably in Jesus, that He lived this out, that He is the embodiment of God's love and, and lives it out most notably in His life and in His death. Which is what leads us into John's further point here is that we love because he first loved us. And we don't just love because we've gotten to know love. We love because he served us in this way, right? That's what he says in verses 9 to 11. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. In verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Like, boil it down right there. We love because he first loved us through his embodiment on this earth and living it out among us and going to the cross and dying for our sake. And so what Jesus says to his disciples in John 13 as he's getting ready to leave the earth is, as I've loved you, I'm calling you to love one another. As I have served you, I'm calling you to do likewise. Join me in this work, like walking this out in my ways, walking out the commands of loving one another. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for his friends, Jesus says. This is a sacrificial love towards the people around us but motivated by the fact that Jesus has already done it for us. We love because he already did it for us. We see what our master has done and we say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you in that. I'm going to believe you that that's the best way. I'm going to believe you that in my life, sacrificially loving others is the way to resurrection, is the way to full life. Friends, God loved us, John's saying, Paul says, it, God loved us when we didn't deserve it. He's calling us to do likewise, to love others when they don't deserve it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John says, he loved us, we didn't love him. We'd kill him today if he was walking the earth. Some political party, one or the other, some echo chamber would say, mm, not good enough for us, kill him. It's the truth of the matter. He loves us first. He served us first. He died for us first. And Then he says, walk in my ways. Love others even though they don't deserve it. Sacrifice for others even though they don't deserve it. And we do not do this to earn God's love His love is first. His grace is first. We act out of that, motivated by that to love the people around around us. And the other thing that I find beautiful in this passage of 1 John is he's saying that, like, in God's love, we are saved now and forever. Paul says we are safely within the hand of God. Nothing is going to take us out of that. No enemy, no struggle, no falling away. Nothing is going to take us out of the hand of God. And, and John boils this down and says perfect love casts out fear. This, this completed, mature love in God casts out fear. There is no fear in love And in this passage, he's talking about love of God and love of others, and he's and he's putting them together and linking them together. And it's so perfect love casts out fear. Well, is that about fear of God or fear of others? And I think it's both. When you really understand the love of God, that that there is nothing you can do, there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no fear. We've talked about this before. In God, because of Jesus, we have no fear. We will not be condemned separation from God. Jesus has purchased it for us. It is secure. When we know God like that, we're like, man, what what do I have to fear? I am safe for all time. There's no condemnation for me. There's no wrath from God. I, I can spend eternity with Jesus. And even in death, I'm alive. There is no fear in that kind of love. But then extend that out to others. If I'm safe with God, I'm perfectly safe with all of you as well. And you are safe with anyone you come in contact with to love them sacrificially, even though it might hurt, even though it's complicated, even though it will take great effort, even though it might kill us, literally. John says, perfect love casts out fear. We can love sacrificially because we believe in a God who what? Loved to the point of death and rose again. We are people of the resurrection. Perfect love casts out fear. So the degree to which we can grasp what Jesus has done for us, what he has purchased for us, we will in turn give it to others. Do You understand this? This is the equation that he's making. To the degree that we can grasp what Jesus has sacrificed for us, we would say, man, look at what he has done for me. I can turn around and give that to others. We love because he first loved us. And Jesus teaches about this. Multiple times, Jesus makes this sort of equation. To the degree that you forgive others, your Father will forgive you. He's saying, do you understand how much you've been forgiven? If you don't understand how much you've been forgiven, you're not going to be a very forgiving person, right? Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. If you do not grasp in knowing God how much mercy is had towards you, you're going to be a harsh person towards the people around you because you're going to think, well, I'm the judge and jury, Right? If I don't grasp how merciful and loving God has been towards me, I'm not going to be that way towards the people around me. I'm going to think, if I have to earn it with God, these people should have to earn it with me. This is what starts to happen when the gospel becomes religion and moralism and legalism. See, in religion and self-righteousness, it makes us unable to actually love others purely because we think we're trying to earn it with God. It's not actually about loving them. It's trying to impress God. It's an inauthentic, not genuine love. But we love because He first loved us, not because I have to earn anything with God. Or on the human side of things, what I would say is like the American Western idea of love is this self centered love. What do I gain from this? How does this make me feel? It's good karma. I'm going to do this thing and God's, and these favors are going to come back to me. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you end up dead. That's the truth of the matter. But perfect love casts out fear, and we say, okay. But human love says, what's in this for me? i got to earn God's favor. I'm going to do these good things, and good things are going to happen for me. Eh, that's just not true. And if you think about it, you know it's not true. But the gospel, gospel love is rooted in knowing God's love for us, knowing the sacrificial love of Jesus for us and saying, okay, I will in turn give this to others. Because of what he has done for me and purchased for me, I will in turn do this for others. So now listen, this is the main thing. God uses this to change us. We've been changed by his love because of Jesus' sacrifice. We've changed by God's love because we get to know him and know ourselves in fullness. And then as we start to love others, it changes us. It transforms us. It makes us complete. There's that word. Uh, Verse, what did I say? 412. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 17, in this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. There's this idea John is saying that as we love God and know him, as we allow him to love us and we start being motivated to love others, it starts to mature us. God's love is made complete in us. Now, whether that's because God wants us to be on mission with him, to complete the mission of love, we go and tell others, true. But I believe it's also this internal reality that John is saying, is, is, is as we love God and know him and as we love others, it starts to form us. We start to change. We start to mature when we love others the way God has loved us. Friends, as Jesus followers, we are called, we get to make an effort to love others. It's our call. It's our mission, like we talked about last week, to make disciples. We don't do this to earn anything, but we do, I believe, we do it believing what Jesus said. If you do these things, you will be blessed. Now, I mean karma. Karma. I mean, when we believe Jesus' words that we will be blessed and have full life, we're going to pick it. We're going to choose into the way of sacrificial love because Jesus said, This is the best life for you. And we will lean into that and love others intentionally. And the blessing of walking in Jesus in love is that we are matured, we are telos, we are perfected, we are made complete. Think about the people that you are called to love. Are any of them 100% easy to love all the time? Please raise your hand if you've met these people. No, right? That's ridiculous. Loving people is difficult. Difficult people are hard to love. And as I said in the beginning of this sermon series, we're all difficult people. We are hard to love. We're selfish, do these dumb things, brokenness, trauma that comes out of us towards others others towards us, and we're called to love them. But as we love people through their brokenness, through their negativity, through their trauma, through the pain in the rear that they are, through their selfishness, as we love people in this way, God starts to do this thing inside of us because you know what happens? We start to realize, oh, I'm a difficult person as well. Oh, and look at God's love for me. Oh, praise God for his mercy and his love and his kindness. And then you start to know God more. Then you start to realize again the sacrifice that he has made for you. And you say, man, I should love people like that. And as you you see the cycle, as you love people in their brokenness, you start to realize your own brokenness. You start to realize the love that God has for you. And it matures us, grows us. It makes us complete. And we get to know the heart of God better I'm just going to blaze through a couple things here. I'm not going to read all of this, Tammy. You don't need to worry about putting it up. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant. Love's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, it does not keep a record of wrongs. That's one that hit me this week. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I've always thought of it as in like the long haul. I don't, you know, I'm not going to remember stuff from years ago. That's ridiculous. <laughs> But man, in like the course of a day, I'm keeping a record of wrongs. Paul's like, don't do that. That's not love. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How are you doing at that? Uh-huh. I'm terrible. And if it were up to us, if it were up to us, we would say, I can do that as long as the people around me cooperate well. I can bear all things if you just be cool, all right? I can have patience with you if you just don't act like a crazy person, right? But it just doesn't work like that. We don't get to pick how the recipients of our love behave, But the truth is, if it were the case, my wife pointed this out a couple months ago, if it were the case that people just behaved like we wanted them to, we would never grow. We would never grow because life would go exactly like we wanted it to. And we would never mature. We would never be complete. We would never reach that telos maturity of being like Christ. We would just be selfish people in the same way. We'd be like, yeah, life's going great for me because it's all going the way I want it. And Paul says, no, I'm calling you to love difficult people. John says, we're called to love others the way Jesus loved us. And as we do, it changes us. And can I just, can I promise you this? If you walk in my commands, Jesus says, you will be blessed. You will find the full life. And the full life is found in loving, difficult people because God loved us first. Incredibly difficult. Incredibly challenging. But it changes us into the image of Jesus. And is there a fuller life? It matures us to know the love of the Father. Is there a better life? I would challenge you that there's not. No more walking in fear of judgment. No more walking in fear towards others. Growing in Christ likeness. And I think of it like this. You know, we just did this graduation party for my daughter, and thank God we had one of those balloon blow-up machines that I didn't even know existed. I sound like a really old man right now. I'm sorry. It's 2022. Of course this exists, and you can buy it from China for like $20, all right? Put the balloon on there, it blows up. It's great. You ever tried blowing a blown a balloon up with your mouth? Like how difficult it is, that first, trying to get that first gasp of air in there as the balloon tries to expand? But then as you start filling the balloon, it gets easier, right? It blows up easier as it starts to stretch and expand. I think this is really what love is like in us. There's that initial difficult work that God does of, boom, putting the Spirit inside of us through the atonement of Jesus. And we expand a little bit. And as we walk in the way of love, as we believe the gospel, as we serve one another, we slowly start to expand and more and more and more fill up with the Spirit of God, fill up with the love of God for the people around us, and we become the people that we're supposed to be, these complete telos, perfected, mature people. It becomes easier, believe it or not, it not less complicated, but more natural, more second nature. Talk to some of the mature saints in the room. I'm not going to name names. I'm just going to look over here. They know, and you've seen this in them, the gentleness, the kindness, the patience. This is what it happens to us when we allow God to change us from the inside out and slowly start to believe him and take a step and say, okay, I'm gonna believe you, the full life is found in loving others. It starts to mature us, and this is what Paul promises us. In so many different ways, Paul tells us that all of this is for demonstration to the world. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked, perverted generation. Man, that's us. That's our world. Among whom you shine like stars in the world. Man, this is not just some new age hippie stuff. This is Paul, the lawyer, saying when you learn to love Jesus and you learn to serve others without grumbling and complaining, man, you start to shine like a star. A crooked and perverse generation starts to emanate out of us. Let me tell you something, when I get older, I I hope to God I live for a long time and that that God's light just radiates from me. Do you want that? That God's love just radiates out of us. And the people around us say, man, they have something that I want. And we say, yeah, it's Jesus. He did this for me first. That's the point of the gospel. That's the point of loving God. Others, the way that Jesus loved us. So, last thing I'll say we walk this out together. This is the testing ground for that. Our families at home, our relationships, and primarily in the local church. The local church is a personal, vulnerable environment in which we walk this out together. The church is not just about programs and events. They don't change people. Love does. And so we walk this out. And it means it's nuanced and weird and complicated. I was I was talking with Todd this week and I said, "It'd be really easy and churches do this. It'd be really easy to say we're going to plant 5 new churches in 10 years." We could put our shoulder into that, force it to happen. Good. But what if love means we have to go slower than that? What if we only have capacity to just like love this group right now because of a lot of stuff going on? It means we've got to slow down, love one another the way that God loved us First. Takes time. And the best way to work this out is in the local church congregation. So whether that's this church or another church, whatever. It's how it gets worked out. The one and others in this world. And I hope we plant churches. I want to. It's my dream is that we would plant more churches. But only if they're loving. Only if they really grasp the gospel. This is how it gets lived out. Doesn't happen in echo chambers, doesn't happen solo. It happens in community. So let us love one another well, because Jesus loved us first. Love changes us, it has changed us, and it will continue to do so. Will we be a part of it? Will we willingly submit to that and love others? Friends, I would argue that it changes the world. Change us, change our community, and change our world. I pray that you believe with me that this is the full life that Jesus has promised us. Let's pray.